You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Breaking news here on Socks in the Basement. MLB Network is bringing Yonder Alonso on board. Clearly, this is a way to get Manny Machado away from ESPN later on in the future. What do you think? Right, Ed? right. <laughs> is John Jay coming on too? <laughs> when everything's going so well for your team, you got to laugh about the stupid things that went poorly a few years ago, right? I mean, you got to right. laugh about the, yes, the dumbness yes. and the mistakes and everything else like that. It hurt a lot more back then. It hurts a little less now because the team is really good. You're listening to Socks in the Basement. Pull up a stool at my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. Ed's already here. And we're going to talk White Sox baseball for the next 30 minutes of Socks for fans by fans. Scott Merkin on the program today. He recently had a conversation with Jake Berger. We're going to ask about that. We're going to ask about what's going on in the locker room with this team that must feel really good about where they sit right now this early on in the season. And it's all brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. If you have a foundational issue, if you see like cement making weird movements outside of your house, all of a sudden the driveway is uneven, the sidewalk, there's like a piece of it that's sticking up a little bit. That's a foundation issue. You're seeing cracks. You're seeing seepage. You're seeing anything weird. You're not sure about it. If you haven't had your sump pump service, go to Family Waterproofing Solutions. The phone number right there on the logo for Saks in the Basement. The website, FAMWS.com. Tell them we sent you. They take money off. How you doing, bud? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing here? I'm loving what you pointed out in Mismatch Socks, the Saks in the Basement blog which you can get at SaxonBasement.com. It's all redone. It's a beautiful website. You can even leave voicemails. Look for the little blue uh, microphone symbol in the bottom right side of your screen. If you don't see it right away, when you go to the site, just start scrolling. It'll appear. Click on it. Leave a voicemail. Ask a question. Leave a comment. Really easy. All kinds of fun stuff on the new website. But I, I love that you pointed out something that I was looking at today, and that is the White Sox in the standings and their expected amount of wins based upon the very big run differential they have. Uh, they're, they're one of the best teams in baseball in terms of the amount of runs they score uh, against the amount of runs that they give up. And they probably would be a game better if things would have gone perfectly for them based upon that. Meanwhile, you're chasing the Royals, who are really a 500 team based upon those numbers, and have just had a lot of good fortune. And if the Twins don't figure it out soon... It's going to be a fun summer with us out in front just trying to keep the lead. Oh, yeah, and, and that's exactly, you know, as we're, as we're going through and sitting, and this is what I wrote about, was as we're sitting here kind of parsing out, you know, oh, the, the bullpen, what's going on with the bullpen, and what are we doing with Andrew Vaughn and left field, and, you know, is your mean for real, is, and, if, and he is, he's for real. Uh, you know, is Carlos Rodon for real, and I think he's for real. Uh, you know, we're kind of, you know, we can sit here, Sox fans, and look at the minutia, but what I did was I, I looked at the rest of the AL Central and got to understand, as much as we're picking apart the White Sox, that's what fans are doing in Minnesota. They're doing it in Kansas City, even with them being in the lead. And things haven't gone right for all the teams based on what they wanted to do. And and with Kansas City, you look at it and go, things are going great for them, but they're really not. You know, they are not pitching particularly well outside of a couple of guys. They aren't hitting real well outside of a couple of guys. 
their expected wins, they're 500 right there with the Twins and right there with the Cleveland baseball assemblage. And then, you know, the Tigers are, they, the Tigers suck. But that's, the that's Tigers fine. do suck. This is my moment here to point out for all of the pundits that sat around in the uh, the beginning of March. And, I, you know, I got asked to be on a couple different podcasts and I had people ask my opinion about who the Dark Horse team was. There were an awful lot of people that kept saying Detroit. And I was like, no, Kansas City. Kansas City's got like some young talent and they went out and got some nice veterans and they'll be the team that surprises. They're not winning, but they're the team. Detroit sucks. And I'm going to I'm gonna thump my chest a little bit on this one because I was right. A lot of You're other right. people were wrong when they were picking their dark horse in the American League Central. Detroit sucks, all right? And it, it still holds true in baseball and today right now in the AL Central. Yes. Uh, but it, when you look at that expected wins, the Sox are where they're supposed to be. They are one game under what they should have done in optimal conditions, and they would be leading the division no matter what. The Royals, way out over their skis right now. They are not, as we're sitting here talking, I think they're 14 and 8, and uh, they should be 11 and 10, something like yeah. that. So Their expected win-loss is is further back. They'd be in the middle of the pack, sitting there next to the Indians, who, as you pointed out, uh, the big thing was the bats aren't going to be very good, but they're going to have great pitching from 1 through 5, and in reality, the bats aren't very good, and they've got great pitching from 1 through 2 right now. And even even that too, I read yet another article that says that Aaron Savali is is out over his head too, and he's not performing up to his expect you know what his numbers really support. So they might just be Shane Bieber and the you know and the nothings at this point. <laughs> it sounds like a doo wop group. Yeah, really. Let's talk about an article though that I loved. Um, I want to just touch on it here real quick before we talk with uh, Scott Merkin. Fangraphs, and we have Jason Martinez on from Fangraphs from time to time here on Socks in the Basement. Always gives us. Some, some really good insight into the team, diving into the numbers. Uh, he didn't write this article, though. Fangraphs Baseball just recently put out an article on Nick Madrigal. And this is a, this is a statistical view of the tiny little second baseman for the Chicago White Sox. The reason why my son Nick picked number one and wears it proudly on his t-ball team is because of Nick Madrigal. Like, he comes running into the TV because the guy has the same name as him, and the last time he ran to the TV, Madrigal gets himself a walk-off. So the, the kid loves him. And fun fact, your son and Nick Madrigal are the same size. Literally the same size. One's yes. five years old, one's a Major League Baseball player, literally could just swap uniforms at any given time. All right, so here's the really crazy stat, and it comes in two parts here. But they looked at in-zone contact for Nick Madrigal. And through right around 20 games, Nick Madrigal has made contact with 100% of baseballs in the strike zone. Think about that. Every single ball that gets into the strike zone, his bat touches. If it's a foul ball, if it's in play, he makes contact with the ball 100% of the time when it's in the strike zone. You can't get the ball past him when he swings. When the bat comes off his shoulder and he swings, 100%. Now, when it's outside of the zone and he swings, and this is really amazing, he makes contact 90.2% of the time. There are only 31 Major League Baseball players who have that contact rate with pitches in the strike zone, and he's doing that outside of the strike zone, and he's 100% when the ball is down the middle. That is astounding. Everybody laughed about him saying he was going to get the 3,000 hits. He'll do that if he keeps up those kind of numbers. 
Well, yeah, I, you know, the, the biggest question with him was always going to be like exit velocity, things like that. He but doesn't have is, that. He doesn't have any exit velocity, and it doesn't really matter <laughs> because what he's doing is exactly what was advertised. His bat control is insane, insane. I mean, that you couldn't ask most major league players to stand up there and bunt with that type of contact rate. It doesn't really happen. And I know I saw, I, I was reading the article and I saw some of the stats and, you know, there's a the, there's a top 10 uh, for what they call early action players. And, you know, it's kind of a measure of some of the stuff that they're talking about. And when you get to the bottom 10, he is half of what the number 10 guy is on that percentage. I think it's something like 16.6% and he, or, you know, 17% or something like that. And he's at 8.8%, you know, for this early action number. So it, it is... It is absolutely a cool dive into what, you know, mathematically makes him special. But, I mean, I just like watching the fact that when he comes up now, you sit there and you can just sort of feel like pitchers are starting to grimace when they see him coming up to the plate because they know they just, unless he swings at the first pitch and happens to ground out, they know this is just going to suck for about the next dozen pitches. And I'm just going to have to try and sit there and throw everything I got, seeing if this guy will just do something to get himself out because that's the only way you're getting him out at this point. Right, and in a big moment when you're hoping you can strike him out, you're not going to be able to do it. No, he, no, no. He's no, going to no. stand up there and put the ball in the play. And and every and and the defense has to know that. Like when he comes out, it's like, well, he no matter where it is in the count, Madrigal's going to put the ball in the play at some point here when you look at what he does. And and I think it's funny when you talk about the the amount of power he, that he's putting into his hits. It's not very good. <laughs> no, and no, like, no, no. They show a graph later on in the article where he hasn't had a hit get down even near the warning track. Like his longest hits balls are still well inside the grass area. Yeah, like, he's... He, it's like he, he has he can hit the ball about as far as I can. And like and it, it, like during batting practice without any pressure and like somebody throwing it at 60 miles an hour. But it, like if I was able to tee off on something, I pretty much can hit it about as far as Nick Madrigal right now. At 44 years old, well past my prime, I mean, I'm, me and Nick Madrigal, we can hit the ball just about as far. He's got an amazing hit tool, but in terms of his power, he's got a horrible power tool. So this is the question I want to ask you before we get to Merck. The article's point was Nick Madrigal is a really good player who could be great. And he is a good player. I mean, take it from a guy who's a fantasy baseball nerd who looks at nothing but stats and guys that produce Nick Madrigal is on my team in my dynasty league. He's uh, he's at worst a high-end backup and at best one of the top 10 second basemen in the league in terms of production. He might not hit a ton of home runs, but he's going to be steady sitting in there for me, and that's good enough for me to start him out there on my fantasy team. So he's got lots of value compared to a lot of other second basemen that are out there, but they're talking about how do you make him great, and they want him to take more walks, and they want him to... To, to change his approach at the plate in the article without getting too much into it. My question is, would you mess with what Nick Mandrigal does in the hopes that he could become greater? Because I would be afraid to touch anything right now. I mean, what's wrong with a guy that never hits a home run but just scares the hell out of everybody when they, they don't want the ball put in play and he's going to put it in the play? I wouldn't mess with it. I You know, the chase for greatness is... I think in some ways overrated, and, and I, I know that's going to sound weirder than what I mean it to sound, but having him be a well-rounded hitter versus a guy who just has this one insane tool uh, doesn't make any sense to me because you can get by, especially in a lineup where you've got guys like Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert, you can get by with this guy never actually hitting one out of the park. 
and maybe never putting one even to the warning track. Frankly, I'd rather him hit line drives that split outfielders. I'd rather him just put the ball in play when they need it to be put in play. And him sitting here chasing 3,000 hits and maybe finishing with, you know, an entire career with 10 home runs for, for the whole, you know, decades that he plays or however long he plays. There is a lot to be said about having him be a steady presence somewhere in the lineup, whether he stays down at the bottom of the lineup for, for the bulk of his career or eventually moves to a leadoff position. Just having that guy there doing what he does, I think is just going to be way more special than trying to turn him into somebody who is going to be, say, more like Tim Anderson, high batting average, but still have some power, things like that. Socks in the basement listeners do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota, and one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. Joining us on the phone line right now, good friend of the show, writes for MLB.com, covers the White Sox like a warm blanket. His name is Scott Merkin. How are you, Merk? Good. Everything is warm today. It's like 80 degrees in Chicago, right? So even if I didn't cover like a warm blanket, it would be heated up today for sure. And then we got the rain coming, and uh, then we probably got some double headers coming. These uh, seven inning affairs. Are you are you a fan of the seven inning affair? Let's start off with that, like because to me, you do the seven inning affair and. You get questions like, "Was that a no hitter by Madison Bumgarner?" Right. You get you get, right. you get fans that go, "Hey, I paid for a nine inning game and I'm only getting seven. And, and, and you know, I get that it's probably it probably has some good points to it, but I also wonder about like how safe is it bringing in two different crowds for the vendors they have to deal with. What, what do you think of a seven inning game? Uh, I was a fan of the five and six inning spring training games. I can tell you that right now. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think all bets are off until we get any sense of complete normalcy, whenever that's going to be, you know, with this horrible pandemic. So I think everything is geared, you know, for instance, like people have a lot of, the, the thing they seem to have the most issue with is the runner on second and the 10th inning, right? The starting of the 10th. Inning. I hate it. Like do it in the 12th. I hate it because it, it, it gives an edge to the visiting team, right? Cause they can get ahead and kind of set their bullpen a little bit, but I think they're doing everything. And Tony, the Russo is about this and trust me, Tony, the Russo know will forget more than I'll ever know about baseball. And he's not only worked as a manager, but he's worked for MLB and he's worked in team front offices. So he sees all angles and he's for it. Cause he does not want to see 15, 17, 18 inning games that just completely crushes your bullpen, you know, crushes your whole pitching staff. And I think everything is just about, you know, as much the player's health as possible right now. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think the nine inning double headers are probably better in the future when we get to, you know, normalcy again, but right now, you know, any change, within reason kind of makes sense. It's all rules to kind of just help the players and help, you know, speed up, I guess, speed up the process or, you know, make it as safe and expedient as possible. Let's talk about Michael Kopech. Incredible start last time out. 
He's basically the greatest spot starter in baseball right now, at least in my opinion. You right. have a guy that could could slot right now in the middle of your rotation who's got a ceiling where he could be an ace very, very soon in his career. And I heard the post-game comments after that start from Tony La Russa, and I'm curious what your take is on it, talking to people in and around the, the organization, because it sounds like they've had discussions about when he'll be a starter. Like, Tony made it really clear. Like, this isn't an if this is a when kind of question. Oh, no question. How soon do you think Tony would like to see him in his rotation? Well, I tweeted and wrote this that, you know, it's, it's got to be exciting for Sox fans to look now and see the weapon they have. I, I always feel weird calling a player a weapon, but seeing the asset, I don't know that's any better. That they have right now in Michael Kopech, who can be dominant out of the bullpen, but give you, you know, we talked about these seven inning starts. Now, you know, he might be able to go five innings at a seven inning start, you know, if, if there is double headers on the horizon, well, there, I know there's at least two and there could be more, who knows, you know, but they've got a really smile and they think, geez, in 2022, that guy is going to be our number two or number three guy in the rotation and going to be there for years to come. So, you know, I think the biggest thing is right now they have, you know, five starters. They have, you know, uh, Giolito, Keuchel, Cease, Lynn and Rodon. And I mean, Rodon if not for Mercedes would be right there with Kopech is that, you know, I don't want to say biggest surprise. I guess it'd be a little bit of surprise because he's just been hurt and not pitched much or been very effective when he has pitched the last couple of years. And he's arguably, you know, if not the best starter, one of the best starters through the first month of the season, Kopech's been great. And Mercedes obviously the biggest surprise in baseball right now. But I mean, Cease has struggled to get, you know, he hasn't gone through five yet. But I don't think this is a thing where they're protecting Kopech. He even mentioned this at the end of the game the other day. You know, they he has not pitched until this year since the game against Detroit where he gave up, what, four home runs because he was on the verge of having Tommy John surgery. You know, so aside from a couple Cactus League outings, this is his first time full-time back. So two things, they're protecting him innings-wise, but they want him to be strongest at the end of the year because this is a team that, you know, if they don't make the playoffs, it is a huge disappointment. You know, last year they didn't make it. You could say like, okay, another step, weird season, 60 games, although there were extra teams. So you figured they would, and they did, but this year, absolutely. They don't make the playoffs. It's a huge disappointment. I mean, you could even say if they don't get to the LC, I mean, I really think on paper right now, they're the most complete team in the American league. Now that doesn't always necessarily mean they're going to be playing, you know, in the world series for, for the American league. But so you want Kopech going at, at highest gear, come September, October, right? So you're not going to burn him out now. And remember also the other thing LaRusso mentioned, which is very salient. Off day yesterday, off days, Monday and Thursday next week. So, I mean, if you put another guy in that rotation, you're going to really be stretching these starters out to where they're, it's like college starters, you know? You're pitching like once a week. So Tony's very big on, and it's a great philosophy for life, just focus on today. Today, Tony LaRusso wants to win when we're, we're taping this. He wants to win the game on April 27th. He's not worried about May 16th or June 27th. That's going June 31st. There is not June 31st. So he's, he's worried about today, and that's his philosophy. He believes, you know, you win, a win today is just as important as a win on September 21st or 27th. So, you know, Kopech obviously won't pitch again probably till Friday or Saturday, I would guess. But if they need him out of the bullpen, then they're going to him out of the bullpen. It's not like they're going to hold him back and say, well, he may start – in 10 days or something like that, you know, he's, he's an asset to be used in relief right now. So I can't say exactly when, but certainly, you know, he looks tremendous. Was he have 27 strikeouts, four walks and seven hits allowed in 15 and two thirds innings. That's, that's pretty amazing. Scott Merkin covering the white Sox for MLB.com. Before I let you out of here, Scott, uh, I saw 
that you just recently sat down with Jake Berger. You wrote a nice article about him on the White Sox website. And and, and, you, and talk to me a little bit about this guy. I'm sure he has his own expectations. I'm sure the team has expectations for him. And then also, he's got a guy like Yohan Moncada, who if Yohan Moncada does what he's done in the last couple of games and does what he did in 2019, he isn't getting moved anytime soon, I wouldn't think, no. because I, I think he's a great defensive third baseman. You don't just throw that guy out in right field just so you can make room for Jake Berger. So so tell, talk to me a little bit about that and, and how Jake sees his future right now. Well, first of all, Jake's become a very interesting story to me because of the fact that, I mean, the, the young guy has been through two Achilles ruptures, had a heel strain, and, you know, really didn't play for like three years, basically. And yet, you know, he's been very open about his trouble dealing with what he was going through. You know, his, he's played baseball his whole life. I and mean, he, when he wasn't playing, he was very, you know, I don't know if the straws were, but upset. And yet he opened up his DMS via, you know, talk to myself and James Fegan. And I remember telling me back then that, you know, he said he had, you know, he had to tell his girlfriend that like, I can't talk to you the rest of the night because I have so many people who reached out to me and I want to get back to all of them. So really just a quality upbeat kid and it's going to be interesting to see because, you know, he told me he pressed a little bit in spring training. It was his first time back in spring training, you know, not counting the car shield league he played in Missouri last year or the little time he spent in the alternate site team in Stromberg. And also he's a St. Louis kid. So he was at the World Series game when, uh, what was it, David Freeze at the walk-off to send it to game seven. So he grew up, you know, loving Tony LaRusso. So now he's playing for Tony LaRusso. So it's understandable to be a little overwhelming. But he told me he's back to focus. He's back to under control. He's a guy who believes in meditation, you know, like a, a number of guys on that White Sox team. He feels like he could end up at Birmingham or Charlotte and talking to uh, Chris Getz. But yeah, he told me he hasn't been told that he's going to a specific position one way or the other besides third. But he takes grounders and fly balls every day there. He said just because he wants to, you know, keep his options open. So, you know, who knows what will end up happening. I mean, I, I think Jake will be a major leaguer someday whether it's with the White Sox or another team. Well, you know, I know he'd love to be with the White Sox because he's told me that, you know, Chris Getz is almost like a family member him now. He's been so good by standing by him during all these struggles. And I know he'd like to do it for the team that has stood by him. But that's what happens sometimes with really good prospects, right? Is that they end up becoming parts of trades to add really good players that you need right now. And then they flourish somewhere else. But, you know, I think right now he's focused on whether it's Birmingham or uh, Charlotte finishing off this last week in Schaumburg and then going after it and seeing what he can do. But it's, it's a great story. Right? You know, I got to watch him a little bit when they played the outside Cubs at guaranteed rate a couple Mondays ago. And uh, he looks good. You know, he's, you know, he's lost 40 pounds in the last year. He's healthy and just ready to play baseball. Scott Merkin, writing for MLB.com, and nice enough to come join us here on Socks in the Basement whenever he gets a chance. Uh, get back to the grind, Scott. I know you're going to have to probably deal with cancellations and more doubleheader announcements and everything else with the with the weather that's right ahead of us right now. I'm sure it's getting to be fun now. You, you know, you hear the roar of the crowd while you're out there covering the team. Must be a blast. Thanks a lot for joining us. Oh, yeah, it's, and it's, it's been great. I mean, even though it's been, I think, 9,200 was the biggest total they've had, and that was Sunday. It's been a great crowd. The, the crowd you you can tell Sox fans sense too. Even when they were what were they six and eight or started a little bit slowly, had a few tough losses in Anaheim. You can tell they sense this is a really good baseball team, and there's nothing barring some sort of you know unfortunate cataclysmic injuries. There's nothing that should stop this team this year. I'm not saying that you know they're guaranteed to win the World Series, but they should be a playoff team and a very good team all year long. Ed, there's lots of different podcasts on the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network, Southside Pod, the newest one that was just launched. 
uh, goes all about the south side, sits down inside of breweries and restaurants and distilleries and taco joints and anything else you can think of. We hang out with people. We talk. We have a good time. We have a lot of fun on that show. And it's another 30 minute program from the broadcast basement on demand radio network. And another show that's on there is the Zemar podcast. Have you checked out Butch Zemar yet? Of course I have. It's insurance, right? And you're like, oh man, this is going to be boring. And then he gets in there and he kind of kind of digs into what's going on in health insurance. And I start to realize that I know nothing about it. Like I probably have been overpaying my doctors. I've been overpaying hospitals. I've been just really lazy about it because of the way that you were kind of brought up to think health insurance works. And there's some really interesting tips in there for people that may just have health insurance questions, but then also he deals with small businesses and he helps people, owners of businesses, get good plans for those people that are out there working for them. They want to take care of their workers. You go and you talk to Butch. If you are a CFO, HR professional, or an owner of a company tired of the typical health insurance premium increases each year, out of control premiums with no end in sight, you want to listen to this podcast and you also want to give Butch a call, shoot him an email. I think email is the best way to get a hold of him, Butch at EliteBenefits.net. All right, I want to dive back into something that was touched on by Merck, and it was the doubleheaders going down to seven innings. Yeah, these seven inning games. Yeah, and and we saw this thing happen this past week with Madison Bumgarner go out and throw no-hitter over seven, and it doesn't count as a no-hitter. I'm kind of annoyed that baseball fans have stupidly started to argue with each other over whether or not that's a no-hitter instead of being rightfully angry at Major League Baseball for even creating the problem in the first place with these seven-inning games. And, And I just want to kind of expound on that. First of all, There's a reason why it's not being officially counted as a no-hitter. I was at the game, and I think I've talked about it on this show before, where the rule came out. Faye Vincent, the last commissioner of baseball, as far as I'm concerned, the last true commissioner of baseball was Faye Vincent. And then an owner in Bud Selig becomes a, a commissioner. And from then on, the commissioners always thought about money and less about the integrity of the game. I firmly believe that. I think a lot of people that remember what it was like before that switchover know that the commissioner really didn't give a crap about anything else except what was best for the game. Andy Hawkins, on a July day in 1990, goes out on the mound and pitches a no-hitter against the Chicago White Sox in Comiskey Park. Unfortunately for Andy, Danny Tartable forgot how to catch baseballs in the outfield. He never knew how to catch baseballs in the outfield. Oh, it was bad. He, yeah. had the, he, he had the catching yips. And all of a sudden, the White Sox end up scoring late in the game without recording a hit. Now, because of that, they don't have to come up in the bottom of the ninth because they win when they finish out the game in the top of the ninth. But Andy Hawkins has thrown a no-hitter. He just only had to pitch eight innings. Well, that stood for a year until 1991 when Faye Vincent said it's got to be nine innings. And he did that because he wanted you to be able to compare no-hitter against no-hitter. It's an exclusive club, and he want everybody getting no-hitters. And this was something then that was decided they were going to continue to honor. They figured this out well before the Bumgarner thing, how these were going to be scored. Madison Bumgarner knew after he throws a no-hitter, he didn't really celebrate because he knew it really wasn't a no-hitter. Now, you could argue that maybe we should go back and change it, and if you do, guess who gets a no-hitter now? Andy Hawkins, because I want that ticket stub. I still have it, and I always thought it was cool I saw a no-hitter where the guy actually lost, although now it's not counted as one. But instead of arguing with each other over this, let's ask why we're playing these seven-inning games. We were told, Ed, that these were for safety. 
Unfortunately, I'm not buying it. You can't tell me it's for safety when you're doing split double headers and keeping ball players inside of the ballpark for longer. You can't tell me it's for safety when you're doing a split double header and you bring out one crowd and then bring in a new crowd. And I don't believe that you've got that as completely cleaned down as you, you could if you would have had 24 hours between games. And you're also exposing your staff twice in the same day to a completely different crowd. What this is, in my opinion, is one of the greatest scams ever put together by two groups that never got along with each other. The Players Association got their players the same amount of money for playing less innings. And the owners, they get to cut their overhead costs because they don't have to actually operate the ballpark for two extra innings in each of these games. They provide less product and make more money. So who loses out? The ticketed fan. Not the guy who's sitting at home who's like, man, I can watch both of these and still go walk the dog. The ticketed fan is being ripped off here because they paid for a nine-inning game and they're getting a seven-inning game. And now those that love the purity of baseball, they're being ripped off as well. Madison Bumgarner got ripped off because he never got to find out whether or not he was going to throw a no-hitter. He never got to get through those last two innings. This has to go away, okay? After this pandemic is over, and, and, and as you look at things continue to open up, that should be by the beginning of next year. In 2022, doubleheaders have to go back to nine innings. Well, the safety reasons, Roy, is just pretext, I think, right? I mean, that, that's taking advantage of 2020. That's what a lot of, not just baseball, but, you know, there's there other places that did it as well. But focusing on baseball, you know, the idea of safety and the idea of erring on the side of caution, sure, we're going to cut down the, the amount of time you know, for these games, we're going to, we're going to, you know, shut down the idea that we're going to have a 20 inning game, something like that. Cause we're going to start the runner on second, but you're right. It is the fans that are getting hurt here. And if they were doing them as straight double headers, all right, you're telling me it's for safety. Cause you don't want the ball players in the ballpark any longer than they have to be there. And you want to keep everybody safe. The crowds. Like you're saying, you can't, the moment you started making these split double headers, yeah. that, that is not the reason why you're doing them. So the only other reason I could think that you're doing them, because I don't trust you as a fan, because I've watched you for years, you millionaires and billionaires, find ways to abuse us as fans, shortening my season in 94 and taking away my ability to watch a White Sox team that probably would have gone to the World Series that year. I don't believe you at this point. Like, I, I don't believe ownership and the commissioner and even the Players Association. I don't believe you your reason that you're giving for these things if they're split double headers. When they're a straight double header, makes sense. When it's a split double header, nope. I'm sorry, your explanation doesn't hold water. That's, I think, the thing that drives me nuts. And, and instead of being upset about that, we're too busy sitting on Twitter or arguing with our friends wherever we're at about whether or not that's a no-hitter. When we really shouldn't even have had to have the conversation, right? Right. And, and, and it's not a no-hitter because it's also Mad Bum and he's sucked for the past couple of years. And you know he was giving up at least one in the eighth or he's ninth. He's going to blow that thing. He, first of all, like that, going through the batting order a third time is so hard. It is. Like during the Rodon game, I looked at my daughter and he's throwing a perfect game. And I said, she goes, you think he can make it? I was like, well, this is where it gets the hardest because his pitch count keeps going up. He's probably going to be up there in the 110s, 120s when this is all over. And these guys have seen him now twice and they get a third time. And that matters. That's why so many of these get broken up in the eighth and ninth inning. And that, I think that's why you want to compare apples to apples when you look at no hitters. Listen, here, here's the one thing I know. I know for a fact, as a White Sox fan watching this team right now, 
There is a team out there that nobody's going to throw a no-hitter against. And that's any team with Nick Madrigal in the lineup who gets three opportunities to come up to the plate right, and, and touches the ball 100% of the time when it's inside of a strike zone. you got to have three horseshoes up your butt to get through that and maybe a fourth one wrapped around your neck. Or just admit you're not getting a perfect game and walk them. <laughs> Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere a podcast can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.